This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Quick pre-roll shout out to our beloved Neat Essentials, USA.com, and of course, athleticgreens.com slash surf. Yeah. <clears throat> Love me my Neat Essentials. Speaking of needing essentials, Athletic Greens, getting you all of your vitamins and minerals, essentials, and one uh, easy-to-use, wonderful green drink. Need essentials, Athletic Greens. They go together like peanut butter and honey. And uh, thanks for all the support. And on to today's show. As we see some movement at the takeoff zone, it's Kelly Slater grabbing rail. A clean entry, this thing holding open, it spits. When it spit me, I thought it was going to spit me off my board. Comes out with the spit, spits him out. Comes out after the spit, gets spat out of another good looking wave here. Spit, spit, spit. We're just spitballing, right? Yeah, guy. Yeah, a guy. Yeah, freaking guy. Oh my. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. <laughs> yeah, guy. How's that? How's that, bro? Hey, David, it is Wednesday. Do you know we're that recording already? Wednesday. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Just checking. <laughs> that, you were testing that was out. my opener. I thought you were testing out a variety of yeah, guys. I was. I was bringing it all. Although I'm sure there's other iterations that are better than mine. I've heard people... Bring in the Yagai. Um, People love it. People love the Yagai. We should do an like an extended cut of all of your Yagais from our 300 episodes. Oh my God, that would be too much. Too much Scott, not enough real good stuff. Um, David, it is Spit, the Spit Podcast. We are spitballing. And it is Wednesday, June the 2nd. Holy mackerel. Time's flying. So crazy. Yeah. And we're here to talk surf. We've got um, an interesting week of surf that included this um, email that I got. Can I ask, is it Dave from Marubra? Um, I was going to read that one as well, but you can, if you've boiled that down, you can certainly read that one. No, you start. I do have that one. I did not boil it down, but I can read through it quickly but if you've got one first go for it yeah let me just this one's from our friend dave who drives by austin texas inland surf park and he says hey just an update on the old inland surf park in austin texas 
Well, there is no update. I drove by there a couple of weeks ago and nothing was going on. In fact, it looked like the same as it did last time I updated you almost two years ago. So the water is drained out. They tore down the pier that runs the wave plow and it's just the same old, same old, nothing happening in the WSL owned Inland Surf Park in Austin, Texas. I'm gonna be there next month, actually. I'm not gonna be able to surf the Waco pool, but I'm gonna be in Austin. So I'll do a drive by and give you a non-update as well when I'm there. What are you doing there? Let's hear visiting, the news. Visiting family. Your family? Lauren's family. Right on. Yeah. What um, are you doing with that shirt? What kind of <laughs> shirt is that? Are you going to uh, some sort of like surf museum? Uh, yeah, like, I am actually. No, Marty, I'm in Florida. What are you, what are you showing in, off your chest hair? What's going on there? I like to leave it unbuttoned down to the navel just um, to appeal to all oh, the ladies out that's there. That's gross. That's gross. Um, <laughs> I'm in Florida and I thought it was appropriate attire for the retirement community. That's what it looks like. I mean, I think I see a pickleball paddle in the background there. Exactly. And, um, do, you have, uh, do you have like one of those little golf carts that you're driving around? So we're visiting friend, uh, Lauren's friends from the UK moved to Florida recently. And so we're visiting them and a golf cart is on the list of things to purchase. But as you can see from how empty this room is, a lot of their things have not arrived from England yet. So um, no furniture, no golf cart. We're, uh, we're just welcoming them to the U.S., but not everything has arrived yet. Right. Okay. Um, speaking of Florida, though, this yeah. is unrelated, but you will appreciate it. Yeah. There's a documentary on Hulu called Our Slice of Heaven that's all about the villages. Oh, my God. Really? Is it good? Do you, do you know what the villages yeah. are? Yeah, I do. I do know what the villages are. It's amazing. It's so the villages, for those who don't know, is the world's largest retirement community. And so it's this, um, you know, I, I think you have to be 55 or older to buy there. Yeah. To buy a house there. So it's all older, retired people, but, and it's all gated. It's a gated community. But when I say it's big, they have their own grocery stores, they have their own movie theaters, not just one movie theater multiple yeah. movie theaters, multiple grocery stores, their own freeway system. Once you get off the main public highway, they have their own kind of network of uh, freeways wow. connecting the various neighborhoods. It's huge. And so this documentary follows, I think, uh, four different couples over the course mm -hmm. of a couple of years and their life in this bizarro enclave, you know, that's just, it reflects high school in a lot of ways, to be honest, because nobody's working. There's this social strata. Um, everybody's kind of just trying to have sex, to be honest. What? Yeah, except for the couples who have been married forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, everybody else, that's kind of the goal. And it's really Wait interesting. A minute. The goal of the retirement community is to have sex? Of the single people, it's a lot of hooking up. Right. So the really? greatest, yeah, the, like an actual statistic <laughs> is the greatest transfer of STDs, like the greatest, um, the population by which it's transmitted most is 75 and over. Oh my God. Yeah, you would think it would be high schoolers or college kids, but college kids tend to use condoms mainly because they don't want to get pregnant. Older retired people, they're not using protection because pregnancy isn't a concern. So there's a lot of STD transfer. And there's mm -hmm. like one man for every seven women because men die off first. 
So there's a rapid rate of transfer. Um, wow. It's fascinating. You know, it's called um, our slice of heaven. I'm going to look at that. I've never, I'm not a doctor, but um, what I have learned is that urinary tract infections are a main, major cause of, uh, of symptoms of disease. When you get an infection in your system and urinary tract infections are easy to get, um, it affects sort of your brain physiology. And Scary. so, yeah. How do you avoid a urinary tract infection? Don't sleep with people in the villages. You know what I'm saying? Okay. Like, stay okay, good stay monogamous. Good to know. Well, this trip to Florida, we are far from the villages. So I will, I will avoid them. A little slice of heaven. I'm going to watch that. <clears throat> that looks like fun. That it's looks crazy. Like a fun, freaky Florida thing. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> freaky and Florida are synonymous. Yeah. They are. They are. Um, so Dave from Marubra wrote in to say, like many listeners, I don't like surfing with vowels. Each wave becomes an obstacle course as we dodge vowels with frightening, frightened eyes who ditch their boards as they're caught inside. Such is city surfing life these days, but recently I felt a small ray of sunshine in an otherwise dark vowel world. I caught a wave, made a simple bottom turn, and there, as usual, was a vowel on the shoulder paddling with egg beater arms trying to drop in. Vowels don't look inside, and this young lady was no exception. So I was forced to straighten out another wave ruined. And we found ourselves both going straight on the whitewater towards the beach. The Val still hadn't even seen me as she was awkwardly trying to stand on her board without much success. <laughs> as I looked down at her with a mixture of frustration and curiosity, I did something unusual. I spoke to the Val. I shouted, get up, get to your feet. And suddenly she became aware of me. And for the first time and clearly shocked at, uh, as she was being spoken to by a stranger, she found a nugget of determination and slowly stood to her feet and found herself actually surfing about three feet away from me. We rode the wave for a little while. Um, I kicked off. She continued until the shore break. I was prepared to paddle back out for safety's sake, took one last look back, and I'm glad that I did. The expression on her face was a revelation of joy and triumph of the spirit that brought a smile to my lips and warmed my heart. So you enjoyed that last wave, I said? Loved it. I didn't think I'd ever stand up by myself, but I did it. Well, now you're hooked, uh, so I'll see you around, I said as I started to paddle back out. So boys, it was a special moment to be part of someone's first wave. Maybe there's something to be said for the odd Val in the lineup after all. Cheers, Dave from Marubra. That was a wonderful email. It really was. Uh, Dave is a great writer. Brought me right to that place. And um, I'm so stoked on Dave's attitude towards it and towards the, the obvious sharing of stoke, the obvious stoke that Dave got from this young woman's first wave. And, um, that brings, you know, that, that, that warms my heart a little bit. I think that's cool. Good email. I was, I was wildly disappointed with Dave. He should have pushed her over onto <laughs> her face. <laughs> now she's hooked and she's going to be surfing. This is just one more person in the lineup. Dave had his opportunity. If he would have pushed her onto her face, she would have gone back home to everybody everybody she encountered and told them how dangerous and scary surfing is. And she could have warned off countless others. You know, it's funny. My friend has this, has this um, sort of strategy, I guess you, you could say 
and it is to um, to to attempt to to sincerely um, communicate with others in the lineup in in a in a positive fashion. And he does it because he gets in his head and he get you know you know a guy will paddle out and be like oh god this guy blah 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 you know. And immediately a lot of negative stuff will flow through his brain about this person that just paddled out next to him or whatever. And, and he's found that if he can just look over at the guy and go, Hey, nice day or whatever, you know, and like try to talk, uh, pick up a, a sincere conversation. It changes his whole trip on the guy and, and the surf session in general. It's funny. I actually had this in my notes a few weeks back to ask you about what, what your strategy was. Um, Cause he's right. That's entirely true. And my default is to not talk to anybody in the lineup so much so that I'll see somebody paddle up near me with a smile on their face. I'll turn my back to them. Cause I'm like, <laughs> I, it's, oh, like on a, it's, it's like on, it's like on an worst. airplane, <laughs> on an airplane, you just keep your headphones in, you know, you're like, all right, hopefully this, this person will not chat me up for the next five hours. I'll do the same thing in the lineup. I go, they look like a talker. I'm just going to turn and hopefully they'll find somebody else to talk to. And whenever I get forced out of that default mode, I benefit from it. I find that like it, my session is more enjoyable, you know? Yeah. And it's interesting that in the last, I don't know, year or two, I've identified that the Val is the talker. And so for all the reasons that we kind of uh, don't want to embrace the Val, I think a lot of their primary uh, experiences in surfing could actually infect us in a good way. You know, like they're yeah. just out there having a blast. They're not cynical in the ways that we are. And part of that is they're talkative. They want to talk about this experience that they're doing. And, and we would benefit by engaging in that conversation a lot of time. Yeah, totally agree. I mean, you know, it's surfing such a selfish thing that, um, I don't know. It's, it's just a weird, the whole, the whole thing's weird. The whole psychology of the lineup is weird. And, but at the end of the day, if I can get out of my own judgment, which is blocking me from, you know, my, my judgment's blocking me from being able to experience the goodness of other humans. Um, because my, my ego wants to, go, oh, this guy's out to get my waves. You know, like that's how immature some of the stuff that happens in between these two ears is. And if I can get out of that and be like, you know what, what a nice day and we're all sharing and, and it just makes the session so much better. It's amazing. Let me ask you, um, you, I think a lot of those people are annoying ultimately. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not just that they're trying to get my waves. It's that, like, I'm thinking of one guy in particular that, yeah. I don't know, I, I, two weeks ago, maybe it's when I put it in my notes. Yeah. He paddles out, he's probably 25 yeah. and he's catching a lot of waves. I don't, I didn't really watch him surf at, the, at first. I just noticed this guy was kind of sitting on the inside and catching a lot of small waves while I was kind of sitting out the back and then I noticed he's talking to people as he's paddling by them. And I was doing exactly what I said. I'm just kind of like, I'm going to ignore, I'm going to stare out to see, and hopefully he just won't talk to me. But eventually he's near me and he's like, Hey man, like, and he just, I don't know. He's talking about the waves. 
And so I watched him on the next couple and he was, um, he was making his way down the line, but he was so jittery and like schizo, lots of body movements and like trying to crack the lip and just not very graceful. And what I realized was he's super amped. He's a young guy who has some talent, you know, like maybe he skateboarded, but he's new to surfing. And so he's kind of going 110% and it's ugly on the way. He's getting a lot of waves, but it's ugly. And he's talking to every person that he passes and it's obnoxious. It's creating this kind of commotion in the lineup that kind of upsets the Serenity. I don't know. The, yeah, the serenity, right? It's yeah. like it's like if you're sitting at a stoplight and you've got your music just at a reasonable level, and somebody pulls up in a lifted truck with the windows open, with this bass booming and their exhaust booming, and you're just like, what? Are, like you're interrupting my experience now. Yeah. And so it wasn't my my conflict with him wasn't that he was going to get my waves. It was more yeah. that the way that you're doing this is infecting the way that I'm doing it, you know? Right. Yeah. I, and, that, and a lot of us go out there for the, you know, it's been proven that just quiet time to your, to yourself, wherever it takes place, if it's in the mountains or in the ocean or wherever in your backyard, quiet time super important to our mental health. We all need 30 minutes of just quiet. And we may or may not realize it, but when we're surfing, we get that quiet time. And that's one of the many draws. I mean, surfing has such a fascinating hold on us. There's so many different reasons that we do it, you know, and one of them is um, sort of under the radar or even maybe unacknowledged by us is this quiet time, this meditative quiet time that we have. And it's funny you say this because just the other day I was out by myself, super crappy waves in the evening. The sun was setting. It was really bad. I just wanted to go out for my what I thought was my exercise, but I found myself in a meditative state and just kind of thinking about the supernatural and all of that stuff. And a guy paddled out or no, I caught a wave. And as he was paddling out, he hooted at me and I'm like, oh, God, now I have to communicate with this guy. Yeah. And here I was trying to be real godlike and real like, you know, in a serene yeah. moment with the universe and the the spirit of the universe. And the first thing that comes to mind, I immediately go to selfish default. Oh God, I got to, I got, now I got to communicate, you know, like, and uh, that's kind of, that's all on me. You know, it's, it's just, it's funny how our default, my default is so, and I guess it's from just 40 years of Southern California BS surf culture dogma that's been drilled into me, but I'm just so like, don't yeah. look at me, you know, and it's such, it's so weird. And it's so out of character when I'm on land, I'm usually, I you know, generally speaking, I'm, a very kind and giving human in when I interact with people. But anyway, it's all fascinating and it's all quite stupid. Um, yeah. I, you know what I think about too, as this kind of in relation to that Malibu conversation we were having last week. Yeah. We create all of these complex systems or strategies to fend off non-locals or that obnoxious guy or whatever it's all fleeting. Like that guy was only near me in the lineup for, I don't know, 10 minutes max out of right. my 90 minute session, the ocean and the rhythms of the ocean have a way of dispersing people and maybe less so at a point break or something or a reef, but even still, it's kind of like the vowels that we're worried about, they will get washed away by the current. 
figuratively and literally, and especially if the waves are good. And so it's never more than five or 20 minutes that you're actually exposed to this irritation. Sets will come and it'll separate the two of you, but we focus so much energy on some on trying to control this thing that ultimately yeah. will get washed away naturally anyways, you know? Yeah, I know they're they're between my ears for the entire session, but they're actually yes. you know, not really enough having an effect on me. Here's what I have noticed though. And I think you noticed is there's different levels of these vows. And what's yeah. fascinating is that, you know, like a 25 year old that just picks up surfing, say six months ago or last year during the pandemic and has a soft top and maybe he's graduated to a hardboard, whatever. And he's on a mid length and he's, you can tell he's barely, they have this incredible ability to be just good enough to like catch the wave and it's super awkward and lame. And they're like constantly like, you know, and when they do get up, they're like stiff and weird, and, but they do have, because they're 25, they're athletic. You know, they're like yeah. really good mountain bikers and they're really good tennis players. And they're probably really good at every sport they've ever done. So they're just good enough to pick up one of the most difficult sports in the world to pick up when you're in your twenties, which is surfing. And uh, they're just good enough to be in that space. You know, it's not like beginners that, that are on the whitewash trying to figure out how, you know, they're, they're athletic enough to be a problem. Yep. Totally. That's a good point. Um, I want to use this email, this next email, to segue into a conversation about the WSL and the ISA games. Yeah. Um, we were talking about the perils of the finals day concept. And yeah. I stated, I stated last week that, you know, it'd be crazy considering that Gabriel Medina is so far out in the lead Yes. Uh, it would be really problematic if somebody else actually beat him on finals day. And yes. I explained that system that the number fifth ranked surfer has to beat the fourth ranked and the third ranked and the second ranked. And then he'll get to surf against the number one ranked surfer in a single heat. Turns yes. out I was incorrect. It is not a single heat. That final two surfers has to surf against each other three times. Oh, good. Or, or it's the best of three anyways. Oh, so good. maybe they, they only surf against That's each other That's what we twice. mentioned too. We mentioned that. Like maybe it's just a really long heat or it's two out of three, which makes tons of sense. So it. it turns out that it's two out of three. And a number of people did uh, correct me on that. One of whom was Roger from boardshop.co.uk. Looks like a surf yeah. shop in the UK. And yeah. Roger, Roger does explain that in his first sentence. And then he says, but unfortunate or in his first paragraph, but then he says, unfortunately, I'm not sure that I'll even get around to watching the finals day at this rate. The WSL competitions used to be the best surf content around, but now with longer form surfing from Need Essentials, Vans, Michael February, et cetera, it just isn't anymore. Uh, hell, even the last log wrap clip of the Vans longboard alternative crew surfing at Waco was brilliant current format just goes on too long. There has to be a format of a 60 minute recap daily show after these competitions, rather than going into the uh, current post show, post show format. Lesson from cycling here, Tour de France, for example. Yes, you can have the TV on in the background for six to eight hours a day. And I'm sure loads of people do, but the 60 minute highlight package will be the TV ratings killer for the entire three weeks of the tour. All that interesting stuff from the day can be cut into shorter form easily. The start and finish are well hosted by an interesting panel and out of each ad break is a great piece of filler with tour history, 
or breakdowns of a particular piece of tech being used, or you have Bradley Wiggins at the back of the motorbike interviewing within the Peloton, I'm sure that the WSL have enough media experience to make this almost unmissable and release just two hours after the end of competition. Just a thought. Yeah, um, a couple of things. I mean, we've discussed some of this before. The long format, SurfAd, it's been around for a while for us to enjoy, of course, since the beginning of time, surf time, that is. And um, and to the first part of your, your discussion about the format of the WSL's final day, and, and to speak to this email, Roger's email as well, again, I'm going to just state that if the competition was held in waves of consequence, we'd all be sitting on the edge of our seats. And, um, and that's, I'm just not going to state it anymore. I mean, it shouldn't be held at lowers. It needs to be held at a wave where we're all going, wow, look at that empty wave. Oh my God. If somebody was on that, that would be gnarly. And we're simply not going to do that at lowers. You know, there's going to be rippable waves, but uh, you know, Waves of consequence are what is required of the Super Bowl of surfing. And yeah. until they do that, I think it's just not going to have, it, you can always have guys like me going, well, gosh, it'd be great if it was an eight to 12 foot pipeline, like it used to be. And that's just, that's just fact, you know, surfers, we need to put the best surfers in the world on the final day in gnarly situations in the best gnarliest waves. You don't have the final day of like some X games thing on, you know, it's in a super mega pipe, you know, it's yeah. in the largest friggin' pipe in the world that you half pipe, you know, anyway. I think to second your thought, um, man versus man or woman versus woman is that's what all sports do. What makes surfing completely unique is that the primary, um, drama is man or woman versus mother nature first. And then whoever can kind of impose their will on mother nature wins the event. And there's a secondary drama going on, which is the two competitors in the lineup, but the primary tenet is man versus mother nature. And that's what makes surfing unique. And that's what the focus always has to be. And at a venue at Surf Ranch or Lowers, that primary tenet isn't there anymore. And it now is just a gymnastics kind of uh, event. Whoever can impose dominion over their surfboard better than the other person. And that's not nearly as interesting. So exactly. I, I completely agree with you. You need to maintain that, that initial focus of man versus yeah. mother nature. Yeah, you can't take that out of the equation. It's, otherwise, as you mentioned, you just have a static format, just like a gymnastic you know, a gym or whatever. And yeah. So anyway, hopefully they'll, they'll get the memo and they'll move this finals day next year to somewhere of consequence. But I think his other point is a real simple adjustment without making a radical change to the tour schedule or anything like that, or the format of this, of the event. Roger has a great point. A 60 minute highlights package at the end of the day, you know, maybe it's two hours after the, the end of the event that is designed for getting ratings on TV, I think would bode well for the WSL. The post show is also cool to like recap everything that happened quickly with the guys on the sofa, but a 60 minute package designed for television ratings is a very, very logical thing that they could easily implement. 
Yeah, my only concern for that is that it might give them a rationalization to keep 34 guys on tour. But yeah, either way, well, I get it. If, if they're resistant to that level of change, they can at least implement the 60-minute format thing and garner views that way because there's just going to be a huge swath of the audience that is not going to watch for eight hours. And you're not giving them any other option at this point. So you might as well give them the 60-minute format as well. Let the hardcore people watch for eight hours and then let the masses watch for 60 minutes. Yeah. Um, speaking of the world's best surfers, do you think that the Olympic Games are going to happen? I know we spoke about this last week, and it seems like there's been some pushback. Um, but my gut feeling tells me that the Olympics, there's just too much money, too much infrastructure too much logistics already in place too much operations happening too much money on the line for nbc uh i think the olympics are going to move forward aggressively um, what are your thoughts on the olympic games continuing just your gut feeling real quick i would say yes that they're going to happen i think six months ago the idea was uh no COVID transmissions. If there's going to be any COVID transmissions, then we don't do anything. And I think we're in a little bit different reality now where the idea of having zero transmissions do at an event like this is just impractical. We've kind of all accepted that if you're going to hold events, there are going to be transmissions. It's not a death sentence. There's a protocol for kind of, um, you know, slowing or qu like quarantining those people and quelling an outbreak at a big event like this, but we must go on. And we kind of have to trudge into the future and open things up. And so I think that's kind of the reality that the Olympics are in. We're going to reopen and we're going to try to mitigate the spread as much as possible, but the spread is going to happen. And that doesn't mean that we shut down the entire event and cancel everything. Yeah, it's a weird situation. I mean, the spread is happening right now in Japan. Like it's, it's, They've got a really crazy variant and it's going through the roof. And now they're going to bring 100,000 athletes and support staff in from all over the world to bring in more variants. You can see why the Japanese population's a little bit like, come on. And that's, the, that's just the facts, you know? It's, but imagine in, say, California, the, the um, spread of the virus was through the roof like it is in japan and hospitals were filled up and we're like yeah we're going to bring in hundred thousand people from all around the world into lax and hold this two and a half three week long sporting festival <laughs> you know like people would be kind of like wait a minute you know hold on well and even worse is that it's an island <laughs> it's not you yeah. know it's like right. on Calif if we're in california we can bail for a bit, but you're on a much more isolated in Japan. So yeah, it's problematic, but I don't know. Too much um, money. Too much money. It's going to happen. Well, let's let's use the ISA games as a precursor, which it is for the Olympics. Um, the ISA games are happening right now in El Salvador. 564 competitors and event officials are in attendance and have been tested for COVID-19, 28 have tested positive among that number. So 28 people have tested positive among 564. Um, 
So that's an outbreak. And as a result, the Australian team did not go to the opening ceremonies at risk of, um, you know, being potentially eliminated from the competition. They posted on Instagram and they said, we've arrived in El Salvador. Uh, this is Owen Wright, Stephanie Gilmore, Sally Fitzgibbons, Julian Wilson. They posted on Instagram and said, we've arrived in El Salvador and are self-isolating amidst the news of an active COVID cases in and around the ISA surfing games. On the advice of the Olympic team, we did not attend the opening ceremonies to mitigate risk. The team is optimistic regarding the current situation. Um, it's kind of chaos down there, Scott. A little bit. I mean, I think they're trying to handle it as best they can, but it's, it's sort of a damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. The ISA demands that all teams show up for this thing as a qualifier. And um, certainly a lot of these WSL pros have already qualified, but there's this idea of qualification and then there's eligibility. So you can qualify, but to be eligible, you have to participate in this ISA things, at least show up for your round one heat. And um, what's interesting about the self-isolation of the Australian team is I'm just reaching here a little bit, but I sense that if I was in charge of this, the main purpose of this is to show unity in the opening ceremonies yeah. for the IOC. So you can go, look, we're doing our thing. I mean, the PR that you get out of those opening ceremonies is the, is the gold, right? I mean, nobody cares about the round one heat on Thursday morning, but um, so for them to the Australian team, not to be a part of that, you know, that's like I say, that's kind of the purpose of this thing is almost to, for everyone to show up in unity. But um, look, we've got a we've got a pandemic. So what are you going to do? Let's talk about that unity. Um, like you said, there's the CT surfers have already qualified, but there's actually 12 additional spots that are available through this event. Um, and so why should these athletes who have already why should they have to be eligible through competing in this event? If they've already qualified, why would you institute a rule where they have to come surf in this event to be eligible for something that they've already qualified for? And Fernando Aguirre's answer to that, he said, quote, the whole Olympic surfing system is proposed uh, by the ISA and approved by the IOC. It is not approved by one person. I feel like him saying that is saying, hey, this isn't my idea. This is a group's decision. When by all... <laughs> We could make the argument that he is the one person that's yeah. influencing them. But anyways, he says it's approved by the entire board and it takes time. There are two things, a qualification criteria and an eligibility criteria. Some surfers met the qualification criteria through the CT rankings, but to meet the eligibility criteria, they have to surf in the games. It's just like how Messi and Ronaldo have to show up and play their, for their national squads in the World Cup. The ISA World Games created a place where everyone from every country is represented in an equal way. And that's important to the IOC. I read that statement and I said, who gives a crap what Messi and Ronaldo are doing that is not exactly analogous? You guys, no. And you guys can design whatever thing you want to design. And this really feels like you're forcing like a square. A, yeah, go ahead. Like a square peg I, in a round hole. Yeah, I, part of me was like, I was thinking, hmm, I wonder if you have to, if each team has to pay money to surf in this event. I'm like, follow the money. Maybe there's, maybe there's revenue here to be had, but probably a little bit of that. But above and beyond that, um, 
I think it gives legitimacy to the ISA to have these world surf league professionals show up and to not have them show up. It, it strips away some of the legitimacy of the ISA and you can understand why the ISA wants those guys and needs that legitimacy because we're kind of kicking this whole thing off. It's the first time we need to show the IOC that we have our act together, that we've got the world's best and they're competing through this funnel, through this, you know, gate system that we have, they're, they're within the, you know, the framework that we've set up. And, and it basically, it's kind of like, we've got them. We need to show the IOC that we're in control of the world's best athletes here. And this is how we do it. And if we don't do it this way, why do they even need the ISA? They can just raise their hand and go, by the way, I'm the best in the world, according to the WSL. So I'll be there. When's the Olympics, you know? And it just moves aside this whole sort of feeding program, you know, and, um, well, and one could argue that you don't need it and you could have the feeding program for all the athletes that aren't on the WSL from their various nation states and still have the ISA. And then, oh, by the way, now you get to meet up against Gabe Medina. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah, it it seems a little, I don't know, like not well thought out maybe is what I'm thinking. Like because they create the rules that they can well, as a result, Gabriel Medina, Carissa Moore, Caroline Marks, Tatiana Weston-Webb, Brisa Hennessy all showed up, won their first round heats, and then bailed and just simply no-showed for their second round heats because they met the criteria. And right. then, and so that undermines the entire event as well. Exactly. You know, when you it's have- It's almost worse in some it ways. Is. It's almost it is. It completely is. It's them saying- It's them flipping off or snubbing their noses to, totally. to Fernando going, look, all right, I checked off the box. Now I'm out of here. Completely. Like I'm here just to do what you demanded of me, but I don't respect the event enough to stick around. And by yeah. the way, Idolo is still down there. He's still surfing. And so There's quite a few guys still down there doing it. Right. But you know, the, the names of the people who left are significant and it, yeah. and it does mean something. And so I, I don't know. I think that this whole event is kind of marred. Certainly the, the COVID outbreak is just kind of bad for optics yeah. and and the Australian team taking a stance and not going to the opening ceremony um, is totally justifiable, but again, bad for the optics of the ISA. And then these literal world champs in Carissa Moore and Gabriel Medina just bailing on the event is also just kind of like, it's embarrassing. And, you know, just for full clarity, those, those athletes have stated that, look, we're exhausted. We've been in quarantine in Australia for whatever, three months. We've been away from family. We've got to get ready for the Lamore event. And we'd like to just see our family, you know? Oh, and by the way, we're kind of getting, we want to be in a good mental state for the Olympic games coming up in end of July. So that's what they're saying. That's what their people are spinning out there. And I don't think it's spin. I think there's a lot of truth to that. If you've been in Australia for three months under quarantine or under these protocols, you're like, God, now I got to fly to El Salvador and do this. Totally. And, and so a lot of it is just, you know, under this COVID umbrella that, that I think everyone's, you know, everyone's sort of doing their best and everyone's, including the ISA, they're doing what, the ISA is doing what they need to do. The athletes are doing what they need to do. It's just not a perfect year for everybody. I think the other detail in here, or the reason why Gabriel and Carissa could have justified bailing is they're going to be surfing against 
uh, surfers who are trying to qualify for the Olympics. So they've right. already got their spot and they could be knocking out people whose world, you know, their, their life's goals are I don't, on the line. I don't care about that, to be honest with you. I'm okay with that. In a weird way, that's what suggests to the ISA that they shouldn't do it this way. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. don't feed the, the lambs to the lions so early. Like, the lambs are going to get slaughtered in Japan. <laughs> Let's just let it, the slaughter happen there. Yeah. You know, like, so I, I don't have any, look, that's competition. You know, you don't like it, don't enter the competition. This is who you're going to be surfing against. You're going to be surfing against Gabe Medina and Italy for good luck. Yeah. You want to taste a little bit of it now? Might be better for you, actually, yeah. to get a taste of what you're going up against. Well, but, the further the further argument there is they risk COVID contraction as well. If Gabriel Medina going to one additional event, that's a risk for him, you know. And and I don't know, but an argument could be made that the um, quarantine protocols at the ISA Games maybe weren't as stringent as they were for the CT events in Australia. And so Gabriel's more at risk by going to El Salvador than he was going to Australia. And that's a concern for him with a world title on the line. And well, Olympics for sure, Australia had such a, they did such a great job of, of, of kind of holding the pandemic at bay. And, um, you know, being an island nation state gives you that opportunity. And obviously El Salvador is not an island nation state. It's in the middle of Central America. And um, frankly, you know, El Salvador is not the first place I would go if I wanted to be safe. So let me ask you this. Fernando's been working up to this for two and a half decades. Yeah. Um, This is his huge moonshot coming to fruition this year. Yep. Is it wise for him to, considering that there's actually more variable this year than ever before, is it wise for him to take the moonshot this year? Because ultimately there's a lot of liability here too. I mean, in a worst case scenario, a world champ like Gabriel Medina could get COVID and be laid out, let's say, for the rest of the season, or that could prevent him from being able to surf in the Olympics or maybe even be able to secure his third world title this year. And that would be a huge black eye for Fernando's mission, you know? I mean, there's so much, so many layers of politics that Fernando is is tiptoeing around. I mean, the landmines are everywhere politically because one could suggest, hey, why not in say 2020, why not just go, you know what? We're going to not have surfing in the Olympics. Let's wait until Paris in 2024. Let's have the surfing unveiled then. Well, you just got approval from from the IOC. They finally came to, are you going to go to the IOC and say, oh, you know what? We decided we're going to wait until 2024. The IOC might just go, no, you're not. You're not right. even in it anymore. And who knows all the political landmines that Fernando's got. I mean, such a gnarly task. I don't think people realize how incredibly difficult it is for a, probably any governing body in any sport to deal with this pandemic, but certainly the first year of the surfing of surfing in the Olympics. So there's that. And then let's say you decided to do that. Then you got to go to the athletes that made the squad and you're going to go, Oh, sorry, you're out. You have to requalify for 2024. Right. And guess what? A lot of those athletes might be like, you know what? I'm out. I don't even want to deal with it. There's too much. I made the team. You screwed me. So now, you know, are you going to screw over the athletes? Are you going to screw over the IOC? Are you going to screw over the ISA and their governing bot? You know, the people that have interests there, the USA Olympic team, all of these 
you know, 98 uh, countries that are in the ISA. I mean, there's just so much going on. It's just, it's just an incredible, uh, I mean, a documentary could be done about it. I'm sure that Fernando's had a few screaming matches with himself, like locked himself in his room and just tore his hair out of what little's left of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with you. It is, it's, it's a gnarly, it's a super complex situation. The, the other problem that I have, and I'm shocked that we didn't lead with this is that the format is so boring. Like, are you going to watch a single heat of those ISA games? Me neither. And I'm not even going to watch the highlights if they post the highlights package. Cause I have watched one or two waves on Instagram and I'm like, wow, mushy, you know, mushy left-hander like with people trying to get fours and fives, not interesting at all. Guys are making it through heats with 10 point heat totals. And there's, I don't know how many surfers, hundreds. I mean, if we complain about the CT having 32 surfers, this is literally hundreds of surfers. It's just exhausting. Well, then, to then watch. take it to Japan. Think about Japan, the Olympics. Will we watch the Olympics? Of course we will, because I mean, I watch curling for God's sake. I know nothing about curling, but because it's in the Olympics, I'm like, oh, USA is against friggin' Norway and curling. Let's watch. Let's root on our team. I'm going to watch. So my point is your grandmother, my, you know, our people that are, um, you know, not normal to the sport, not regular followers of the sport are going to watch USA surfing. Uh, NBC is probably going to do a big highlight package on the new sports that are in the Olympics. And this is one of them. And so um, I don't think the mainstream audience gives a crap that it's in, you know, it's going to be in two to three foot, you know, shitty shitty beach. You know um, what I like? <laughs> that it's called oh, shitty shitty? No. Um, <laughs> I remember in the last Olympics, you know, speaking of curling, they do a backstory on the guy who's like winning the gold and it turns out he's a plumber. <laughs> like he's, there's no such thing as like making a living off of curling. So you make a living right. off of plumbing and you curl on the weekends and you're good enough to qualify for the Olympics. Um, I could see similar stories developing out of surfing and they won't win the gold, but I have a friend from Huntington beach, Tom Resvin, yeah. Rezzy as yeah. he goes by Rezzy. Good uh, surfer. I know Tom. Yeah. Great surfer. And yeah. so Rezzy's a great person. He's one of these great personalities in surfing yeah. and he actually is a janitor. He's a janitor. I haven't, so I actually haven't talked to Rezzy in probably a couple of years, yeah. but um, he, his whole thing is about staying, he's trying to reverse age. He loves Iron Man, <laughs> like the Tony Stark's Iron Man. And his goal is to reverse age through diet and exercise. And he yeah. looks as fit as he did when he was 28 years old. And yeah and he's super committed to surfing. So he's a janitor uh, by day or maybe by night. And then he surfs every chance that he gets. And he actually flies. He'll do like strike missions down to Peru yeah. just for a swell. Yeah. And he'll surf the entire time that there's daylight there. And then he'll be in Indonesia catching a swell there. And he's living the life of a professional surfer, but it's on his own dime. And so he is competing right now at the ISA games for Israel because he has really? Israel. Yes. So, and I didn't know this because again, I haven't talked to him in a while, but he posted on Instagram his waves from his heats and he's there competing um, based on his, you know, 
I think we have a new people's champion. I know, totally. For, Izzy, for Rezzy. And he's making heats. Of course he is. The guy surfs good. He's making heats. And so he's got to be, I'd he, say. Like 45 or something? Yeah. I'd say he's yeah. early 40s, 43, maybe 44. And just down three there, to the beach. Bang, bang, bang. He's just three to the beach. He, that guy is a, a machine. He's totally. a law machine. Totally. And so I'm those are the stories. Now I've got a, somebody to, to watch. <laughs> those are the those are the stories that you they can are. see develop from the Olympics. Yeah. And again, he won't win gold, but yeah. the fact that he's even competing against professional surfers, you know, yeah. at that level is is really fascinating. Somebody needs to reach out to, you know assignment editors at NBC because they're searching for these stories right now. They're like, we need, you know, there's some editorial meeting where they're going, okay, who, who's got the fun angle on, you know, the janitor from Huntington beach, you know? Mm -hmm. So some, one of Resi's people needs to find out how to get a hold of NBC and start getting the story developed because they're, they're actually doing these stories right now. I've already, so about three weeks ago, I was surfing Cardiff. The waves were fun. There was quite a few people out. It was, it was fun rippable little wave south swell and who's out there but rob's out machado's out he usually doesn't surf cardiff he usually surfs down at seaside just down the way a bit and um and there's these two little girls out that are ripping right and and i hear somebody's and there's a drone you know and i'm like oh they must somebody must be filming rob you know and rob and i are talking in fact we're talking about pickleball <laughs> remember i told you i was talking yeah. to rob about pickleball. it was that morning we're talking about pickleball and then I see these girls ripping and it ends up NBC. There's a full scene on the beach, a full production crew. And they're doing one of these spots for the NBC Olympic games. And it's this little girl who's in the Olympics. And I think she's a pro skater or something. She, she wasn't in the surfing part of it, but they were filming her surfing at the beach. Like the idea being Rob's mentoring her. And this is where she grew. You know, she lives in Encinitas and this is her hometown. And this is what a typical day for her is she goes surfing and she has an acai bowl and she, you know, goes to yoga and whatever. And um, so these things are happening. My point is these things, these, these, you know, special interest stories that they're developing are already happening. So Resi needs to get on it because believe me, they're not filming these things in July. They're filming them right now. Yeah. Resi's the exact person who would already be working every angle he knows. I know. Like sending his headshot to the NBC producer right now. You know? Exactly. We need to get make sure Resi, I'm sure he's on it, but he's also very busy. You know, he's got to got to do yeah, the yeah. janitorial thing and get to El Salvador and all this. So um, this also segues kind of nicely into the rest of the WSL season. I've heard rumors that Rio is off. Really? Have you heard How this? Legit- how legit are your rumors? I have no idea. They've come through DM on Instagram, but um, so I, I can't validate them or I can't say who the source is, whether or not they work for anybody who. Uh... Well, look, I think if you fly into Rio, you're going to have to be quarantined, I would assume. Yeah. For, for 14 days. I know that we've got a couple of Brazilian exhibitors for the boardroom show that are coming over. And when they come over here, they're going to have to quarantine. Mm. Um, and test pot, test negative, you know, a couple yeah. of times before they can get out. So um, I imagine that, look, Rio's kind of up in arms. I think they're, they're so fed up with the handling of the pandemic there by their government that there's, there's these mass protests, you know, now that's all I really know. I can't speak to the, you know, the depth well, of the protests or anything like that, but there's people that are disappointed in the pan, the government's response to the pandemic. I, and uh, I guess you could just Google 
Google Brazilian uh, COVID response and see what's actually going on there. I, I'm not going to be a source of, of very good information. Is it safe to say that it would be irresponsible for the WSL to take the tour there this year? I think so. Based on the fact that they just went to the most stable nation state regarding the COVID pandemic, one of them, it's either New Zealand or Australia. And they pulled it off, but there was, you know, they had, there was, they were very much like tippy toeing through it and making sure that they got it all there's all their T's crossed and their I's dotted and they did a good job of it. We got to give them that look, they, you know, the WSL pulled it off. They did four events. There's no way you're going to Brazil and try to tippy toe through that. The possibility of a blow up is just way too great. And is it before the Olympics Brazil or after? No, the no, it's after, after, I believe. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's no way that they're going to be able to pull off. I, I just don't see them pulling that off. Uh, so as you say that, it also makes me call into question Mexico. Yes. So I think you're right. Let's thank our lucky stars that Australia went well and um, focus on Lamore, which we can quarantine, and Chopu, which we can, you know, reasonably pull off um, and keep people fairly Yeah, isolated. another island, island nation state. Exactly. And then that gives us almost a complete season. Yeah. Oi Rio pro is scheduled for August uh, 11th. So it'd be after the Olympics. God, do you think um, people they want to travel to Brazil after Japan? They don't even want to yeah. go to Brazil ever. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I want to follow up on the finals day format a little bit more. Um, Morgan Siblick is in fifth place. Yeah. So if, if it were to take place tomorrow, he would have entry into that finals day. Um, if Morgan were to win a world title in his rookie year, do you think that that, I mean, it's an easy thing to say, oh, the system's broken. Like that should never happen, this format. Or I want to pose a question to you is, or does it kind of um, mean that the system is more exciting? The idea that a world-class surfer on his first year can actually rise through the ranks and dethrone somebody like Gabriel Medina. Does that make it more exciting or does it prove that this system is flawed? Well, it's a, it's a little bit of both, right? I mean, um, if Morgan goes on to win, it won't be that he wasn't worthy in, in smaller surfing conditions. Although he, I think the thing with, with some outsider, let's say, let's call him an outsider, somebody from the bottom half of the tour coming up and winning or a rookie winning is that, okay, are they a worthy champion? Does everyone look at that guy and go, yeah, that guy's one of, if not the best surfer in the world. And right now you, you just say to yourself, does Morgan have the air game to beat Gabe Medina or Elo or Felipe at lowers? I don't know, but let's say he yet. does. Let's say he does. Then you say, okay, can he beat Gabe at Chopu or at Pipeline? Like, does he have the yet. chops in waves of consequence? He didn't do so great at Pipe. Right. He has proven himself uh, at Sunset Beach uh, in one event. So the question then is, is he the best surfer in the world? If he won this, the title this year, would that be a validation of the fact that he is the best surfer in the world? 
if he goes through Chopu to, to maintain his fifth spot, he's going to have to have some results at Chopu. Right? Yeah. 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 If Chopu's big and gnarly, and we see Morgan do some of those late drops like he did at, was it Narrabeen where he pulled in under the hook? Yeah. But on that left, yes, that's I know, not, I'm not comparable. I know it's not the but, same, yeah. but I'm just saying that, that if, you know, that move is basically the same move. It's just going to be a much gnarlier situation. So if he can prove himself at Chopu and then goes out and takes down anybody at lowers to win the world title, I think we can all go, well, look, he killed it at Chopu and it was eight to 10 feet. So yeah, he's got the chops to pull it off. He blew our minds. He made the semis, you know, or better, right? At, yeah. at Chopu. So I'm okay with it. It's a lot of it's going to depend on how it plays out. If Chopu's crappy, if it's three to four feet and kind of crumbly and they're doing turns or they're just, it's just not legit Chopu. And then he moves through and he maintains his fifth spot and he goes to lowers and somehow he beats Gabe two out of three in less than stellar lowers where there isn't really an air game or the air game, you know, we, it's yet to be determined, but I can see how you could poo poo it, but I could also see how you could go. Yeah. He, he actually made it exciting. Exactly. Who knew the guy killed it at eight foot Chopu and did aerials, the blue doors on Idolo. And for the record, Gabriel Medina trounced Morgan Siblick every uh, time they matched up in Australia. So despite Morgan, you know, making through making it through a bunch of rounds and taking out John John Florence and all that sort of stuff, every time that he came up against Gabriel Medina, Gabriel smoked him. And I don't think that Gabriel would let Morgan uh, have his way at lowers. I think Gabriel would take it to him. Gabriel's the, I think Gabriel's the better surfer and I think he's a far better competitor at this point. But the, the point that I kind of am identifying is there's a flaw in our own perception of surfing inherent in the, the competitive system, but also in just your and my viewing of surfing in that is Gabriel, is Morgan as good in the air as Gabriel? And we go automatically no, because we've seen Gabe do it for five years or eight years. So Gabriel's better. But I love that the idea that somebody can come out of the blue and can be better at airs right out of the gates, objectively better today. And Morgan isn't that guy, I don't think, but just philosophically, this person can be better today, even though they haven't done it for very long and they haven't been in our awareness for very long, they can be better at it today. And that this system can acknowledge and validate that that person is better. They didn't have to earn a way into our consciousness. And the flaw that I'm talking about is that, is that we have to make them earn it over the course of a couple of years. And once we've become accustomed to you and accept you in our awareness and our consciousness, then we'll start validating. Well, I I think that they will earn it in our consciousness in a two out of three system at lowers. If it's best two out of three at lowers and each heats, like I'm hoping they're at least 45 minutes long. And Gabe Medina is just going bang, 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 and just doing what he does. He's he's a machine right now. And Morgan does that and bests him two out of three. Well, then he deserves it. You know what I mean? Like we won't have to go, oh, but no, we have to wait two years to get him ingrained in our consciousness before we can deem him the champ. It will have unfolded right before our eyes. Frankly, all I need is, is two and a half hours of those guys going head to head to tell me, yeah, this guy's better than that guy. It was quite obvious here. It was right in front of us. Yeah. If it plays out that way, then you're right. But the problem is there's all these other variables like um, 
for example, when Jadson Andre did that same air rotation in Brazil in 2010 to beat Gabriel, or I'm sorry, to beat Kelly Slater, you could point at the judging and be like, God, yeah, that was a sick move, but it was the same move over and over and that shouldn't have won. So if it's an apples to apples comparison at lowers and Morgan has better apples than Gabriel, sure. But if it becomes, you know, a question about- I don't think the judging will be, I think the judging will be on point. I think there's not, you know, there's going to be so many eyeballs on the judging. The entire surf world is going to be watching this heat. And I don't think you're going to see a situation like you saw five years ago or six years ago in Brazil. And the, uh, so then the other question becomes kind of what you started out by saying, which is even if he beats Gabe at lowers, is he the best surfer in the world? Well, if you know? he, if he, if he serves in big chopu, because the question will be, what's it like in waves of consequence? Yeah. And we will be able, because we all want a world champion that we know can charge it at massive chopu or massive pipe or massive sunset beach. We just, we demand that of our champion. I can't have a champion that we go, mm, yeah, but he doesn't own an eight, six, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Um, I was reading, so Eric Logan did an interview with an outlet called Sports Section. And one of the things that he talked about, and I've heard other people talk about this, was that the WSL gets 10 million viewers per event. Let's discuss that number real quickly. I mean, does that seem so far-fetched to you? How are they tabulating that number? Is it adding up every uh, heat? Like there was 300,000 this heat and 400,000 that heat. And then you add everything up and it comes to 10 million. Cause I cannot imagine there's 10 million unique eyeballs on any given event. Yeah. I mean, it'd be nice if there was some sort of auditing system like there used to, and I know there is, there's probably a Nielsen ratings for this, but every time, so I will log on and watch a heat and, um, and I mean, like after the fact, like I'll go on and I'll watch a condensed heat, right? And sometimes the thing will stall or bog or I want to watch another heat and I go down and I click on something and it reloads me. It reloads me as a new session. Yep. And I seriously think to myself, I'm like, I wonder if each one of these is counting as new eyeballs. It has That's to be. what I think is, is, is questionable, you know? Yeah. And so I'd love to see, you know who would be great at this? is Michael Ciamarella on Stab, who, by the way, I think uh, maybe it's just me, but he's starting to, I mean, he always has been a great reporter, but he's sort of becoming the reporter that I go to for really valued information. He's kind of rising as a, as a sports reporter, if you will. Yeah. Um, but anyway, my point is this would be a great thing for him to dive into or have some of his interns dive into over there at Stab if they have any is let's get to the bottom of these numbers. How are they audited? How does Nielsen ratings handle it? How is Eric seeing it? Like, I would love to know if every time I get kicked off because my computer bogs and I re-log on, or every time I watch the condensed heat, does that count as another viewer, another session? I, I would like See, to I, don't, I think Nielsen ratings is specifically for television. And I don't know. I, I don't think so. I think they've got an arm now that's handling that makes sense. Streaming. It's handling streaming. Yeah, they definitely but, do. But do you think that, I mean, the there's no regulatory body regulating these things. I think it's each organization 
it kind of keeps those numbers for their own sales team to sell advertising with, but I don't think that there's any, you know, uh, regulating well, auditor. I mean, if, if WSL comes to me and goes, Hey, you know, we'd like to sell you a $10 million package. I'd like to be able to go, okay, well, let me see your numbers. And they go, well, here's what we come up with. I'd like to go, okay, well, who's auditing this? And that's what right. happens in the publishing world. There's Nielsen, there's, there's audit, there's legit auditing numbers. And there's magazines that were out there that were like, these are our numbers. We don't, we didn't get audited. Oh, by the way, there's a pass along rate that we'd like you to Which know. Which magazines about. are you talking about, Scott? Um, I mean, I can't speak. I don't want to butcher. Know, know. You know, my recollection is that there was magazines in the surf space that would come out and go, look, we actually haven't been audited, but we have this thing called a pass. You know, anyway, there's just some BS going on. I have a um, feeling that's what so that my point is, is that Nielsen ratings, I think, it's to their benefit to have integrity with their numbers because all of the potential advertisers look to them to make sure that they can verify what the, what the, you know, the um, entertainment company is trying to sell me. The 10 million viewers number per event is, is laughable to me. Uh, Anytime I've ever logged on and it actually has, it shows you how many people are viewing the event. It's never even a hundred thousand people. It's like in the tens of thousands, maybe thirty thousand at the most. And yeah, but if is you go, that numbers? I guess that's an international number, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. You know, like <laughs> we're experts. We're experts in internet auditing viewership. I'm, dude. I'm just saying, ten million I, okay, is a I, far cry from any number I've ever seen. Let's question it and let's see if we can get Michael or somebody to to drum up the real number or explain the number. I just like the yeah. number explained. I'm okay with it. If you can just go, here's how we got to it. In fact, every time Scott gets kicked out and logs back in, that that's a, that's a new session. And we count that as a new eyeball. Okay. Well then. <laughs> it's almost like they design it to kick you out because I know they, they really do. do. Dude, Netflix streams flawlessly for me, no matter where I am in the world. Lots of other services that I use stream flawlessly. The WSL player, I can't, I mean, if it lasts through a whole heat without bogging and making me refresh the thing, that's shocking. So it usually doesn't, it do, usually doesn't last through a full heat. And every and it time you, you get, rewatch yeah, the commercials. You get the that's the thing, right? That's why you're like, okay, here we go. They're just drumming up their numbers, like kicking me out and then making me watch an ultra Michelob ultra commercial or whatever the commercial might be. And it, and it's the same exact commercials over and over. So the redundancy of those gets annoying too. And sometimes it'll happen at a critical moment in the heat. I know. Somebody, somebody needs a score in the dying minutes and they're up and riding and then it freezes. And I just I think, know. okay, I got to measure this out right now. Do I wait and hope that it unfreezes? Or if I click refresh, it's going to cost me 90 seconds because I got to sit through the advertisements again. What do I do? You know? You need to call your internet service provider and your cable company and upgrade to a better it's, it's on you it's not on the wsl <laughs> definitely <laughs> not because it happens it happens no matter where i am in the world right yeah, yeah. anyway right. well look we beat up the wsl we do that every week but that's not you know beating what? them up no it's not it's I th the truth man well i think criticism is valuable and um i agree and i try I to be constructive with it i think at times yes. we probably are not constructive but i think it's totally okay to offer um, feedback 
yes. about things that are that are flawed and then also offer constructive ways to correct them. I think it's just that everything that that comes out of the WSL is so unicorns and rainbows that you, at some point you're like, okay, we, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I mean, I, and then when you see that 10 million, it's yeah, unicorns and rainbows. And then they're like, oh, and there's the 10 way million the 10 million watching, is delivered like, that I think is the problem, right? Yeah. It's like, dude, come on. Like, yeah. Well, at any rate, Scott, uh, in the interest of time, I've got a must-see moment, a Duke and not a kook. Do you have okay. wrap up stuff or anything that you want to address before we do? Um, I don't think I do uh, other than Matt Wilkinson going country, which is fascinating to me. So Matt What'd Wilkinson is, he's my Duke. Matt Wilkinson is my Duke Hanamoku for launching a country music career. Now I was kind of going, is this April 1st? It seemed like an April 1st joke because the nature of the video where he was singing, he was dropping F-bombs and that, that can't be a commercial song based yeah. on the, the F-bombs that he was dropping. Yeah. So is this just like they pulled one over on me or is he actually yes. a country music guy? No, he is absolutely trying to make a viral video. He's trying to make a video that goes viral and then he gets a little glimpse of celebrity. Money. Um, yeah, maybe that too. But I think it's a hit, a swing and a miss. Like. Yeah. It's just simply not funny. And yeah. I, I think there is a potential joke there, but every single video I've seen Ragland Surf Report post is funnier than that highly produced Matt Wilkinson right. concept. You know, it's just, it's like, okay, make a couple curse words and make a parody of a, of a country song, but we didn't, I don't know. He just put way too much effort into it. And the joke wasn't even that funny. By the way, uh, the song wasn't that funny. Speaking of country music, and I agree with you, it, but now that I look back on it, he's not my Duke. He's my kook. He's a, it's a kook move for sure. It's a kook move. Um, I have, um, I think it was Matt Warshaw that turned me on. He sent out a thing about cocaine and rhinestones. Have you wa listened to this podcast? Yeah, I have. You probably already listened to the whole thing a bunch of times. Yeah, I didn't see Matt's, I didn't see Warshaw's thing, but I have listened to it. It's really So I'm weird. involved in that right now. I'm, I'm down the rabbit hole of, of cocaine and rhinestones. And it's pretty fascinating. It's a little bit... Tedious? Yes. He, he yeah. really drills down and he kind of, he kind of does, he kind of like, he, he overstates his point. Like you're yeah, like, okay, I, I get it. And then he goes on for 30 more minutes on the same point. You're like, dude, I, I get it. I, I, you, I'm, I bought in. You don't need to yeah. like, yeah. Um, pull our closing song today, pull from that catalog, like some classic I will. country. Cause, I will. Because I, I like classic country. I yes. absolutely despise pop country. Like the type of yeah. country that Matt Wilkinson was trying to parody. I'm like, oh my God, shoot me. And like, I don't ever need to hear this again. It's syrupy, sweet, and it's grating at the same time, you know? But Dolly Parton, like classic Dolly and stuff is amazing, yeah. you know? Um, my, uh, uh, well, this isn't a must-see moment actually, but something that I'm super interested to watch that I wanted to call listeners attention to because it'll only be available for the next week yeah. is a documentary that's, streaming on stab premium it's called water get no enemy 
and I have not watched it yet, but the reviews are great. And I'll just read the kind of introduction paragraph. They said, Libya, I'm sorry, Liberia, country in Africa, Liberia was ravaged by a pair of civil wars from 1989 to 1997 and from 1999 to 2003. The wars killed about half a million people and many children were forcibly recruited to serve in the army. The nation is situated in West Africa and the coastline tilts to the south, granting it exposure to the swells that erupt in the South Atlantic from about May until August every year. Pair that with warm water and a variety of wave setups. And you find that today, some of the former child soldiers have dropped their machine guns and picked up surfboards. This is the focus of Water Get No Enemy, which will be playing on Stab Premium until Wednesday, June 9th. So if you have a Stab Premium membership or if you wanna just sign up to watch this, you absolutely should. It's a 45 minute documentary and it sounds fascinating and it's on my list of things to watch in the next day or two. Well, there's a a San Diego guy here, a friend of mine, Sean, um, I can't remember his last name, but um, he he ran a surf camp in Liberia for years. Yeah. And um, I think things got weird and they had to leave. I don't know what exactly went down, but. Yeah, Um, that's the situation. I mean, I almost prefer to turn a blind eye to atrocities around the world because they're so hard to stomach and you feel helpless to, you know, but it's horrific when you really kind of focus on some of this stuff or just pay attention to it. It's really horrific. And it made me realize um, donating surfboards like you and I have so many boards that go unridden for years on end. I can't think of a better thing to donate a surfboard to, you know, then, um, and I don't know who would organize that, or maybe your friend Sean would have insights on how to do it. And it's probably super expensive and all that sort of stuff to ship boards over there. But those kids would be thrilled on even our beaters, you know, they would go so long or, um, Hey, nice shirt. I know. Adios and aloha. Those things, I haven't even put them in the shop yet. I've got them sitting in my garage, but maybe we can make up, distribute them at the boardroom show or something. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, um, thank you for your great insights into this documentary on Stab Premium about Liberia. I want to check that out. Water Get No Enemy. And my Duke, by the way. Yes. I yes. had this Duke in my notes before you even mentioned him. Uh, Fernando yes. Aguirre. Fernando Aguirre, just because, yeah. look, we can we can shoot holes in a lot of the ISA games and the format and all that sort of stuff, but this guy has been at this for 27 years trying to make this happen, and he didn't have to do that. He founded and sold Reef Sandals. He can just enjoy uh, life's finer luxuries till the end of time and never run out of money. And yet here he is slogging away to bring surfing into the Olympics. And I can imagine a time where surfing is in the Olympics and it's a great and wonderful thing and everybody celebrates it. And Fernando is doing the hard yards right now and it's no easy feat. And there's tons of critics and very little applause. It's a thankless job and he's just slogging it out. Dude, it's amazing because I don't think you could have written this story like this is going to be a documentary in, say, 10 years that will be fascinating if it's done correctly. Because, as you mentioned, Fernando's been 
pounding this Olympic thing for two decades or more. He's just been all about it. And, and, and he had this moment in whatever it was, I think it was probably um, 2016 or whatever year it was, where it's like, it's happened. We're in, we've got the Olympics. And it just seemed like now it's just do all the, the stuff that needs to happen. And what's fascinating is that the hardest, the largest hurdle, the most intense problematic situation no one could have envisioned has just smashed Fernando in the face and it's yeah. this pandemic and and he didn't envision it nobody envisioned it and if there's anyone that's going to get over I mean the fact that he got surfing in the Olympics so quickly is amazing but then to have this this just mind-blowing problem thrown in front of him at the last yard as you mentioned is just it's incredible and it's it's the yeah. stuff that it's like a biblical story to about <laughs> this. you know what i'm saying i mean you're right though if he thought 2016 like he had hit the finish line like oh yeah. two decades of work and i finally got it into the olympics and the last five years have been way gnarlier than the first 20 way gnarlier and yeah. they continue to be gnarly yeah and uh it's not going to be the coming out party that he had hoped. There's not going to be this beach lifestyle festival with thousands, millions of people from around the world enjoying the Japanese beach scene and shitty. By the way, access to that beach is like a single road, like the traffic, the nightmares in the traffic were going to be hellacious there. I don't know. If, I don't think there's a whole lot of, I mean, anyway, maybe it's a blessing in disguise. You know, look at it like that, Fernando. There's not going to be the, the traffic headaches that you thought that everyone saw coming trying to yeah. get to that part of, the, of Japan for the Olympics. But anyway, it's going to be a great story when it's done, if it's done correctly. And when I mean done correctly, I mean, Fernando can't control it. It has to be an outside source that does this documentary because we want to see all the dramas. We want to know about all the screaming that occurred. <laughs> All the punch yeah. outs, all the slaps. Anyway. Yeah. All right, Scott. Well, hey, hey. thanks to, of course, neatessentials.com and athleticgreens.com slash surf for supporting today's show. And uh, Scott, I will recommend when you go paddle out today, yeah. say hi to somebody in the lineup. Good idea. I'm going to say hi. I'm going to talk to somebody. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hoot somebody on and be excited for them. So hoot him, yeah, hoot him into the crappy wave and then wait, <laughs> yeah. wait for the set wave. Well, sadly, that's all there is is crappy waves. It's a beautiful ocean. It's a beautiful day. Um, David, until next time, adios and aloha. Let's go to Lincoln Park, Texas, Wailing and Willie and the boys. This successful life we're living Got us feuding like the Hatfields and McCoys Between Hank Williams' pain songs And Blueberry's train songs And blue eyes crying in the rain Out in Lukenbach, Texas Ain't nobody feeling no pain Baby, let's sell your diamond ring and buy some boots and faded jeans and go away. 
This golden tie is choking me In your high society you cry all day We've been so busy keeping up with the Jones Four car garage and we're still building on Maybe it's time we got back to the basics of love Let's go to Luke and Buck, Texas Waylon and Willie and the boys This successful life we're living Got us feuding like the Hatfields and McCoys Between Hank Williams' pain songs And Newberry's train songs And blue eyes crying in the rain Feeling no pain 